morning, brothers and sisters. We're dealing with biblical child training. We've been talking about this now for a couple of weeks off and on. Remember our first session we talked about the fact that God had chosen people before the foundations of the earth, before they were even created, for the purpose of being a people for Christ that would be worshipers of him in spirit and in truth. And the goal for those people was to be conformed to the very image of Christ. We have the command in Matthew 28, 19 and 20, where we're clearly told that we're to make disciples of all nations, and we're to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Trinity, and we're to teach them to obey everything that Christ has commanded. And we said that child training really is under the umbrella of discipleship. It, however, happens to be the most intense discipleship because we're dealing with someone in our home. We're dealing with them 24-7. So this is not just coming for a Bible study on Sunday morning and sharing some truths from God's Word and walking away. This is a comprehensive plan to teach the Word of God to our children. And we want to be careful to do that. So today, last week we talked about the fact that if you turn to Ephesians chapter 6, verses uh, 1 through 4, Paul gives the admonition to children to obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. And then notice we looked last time at what did he tell fathers first. He didn't tell fathers first to bring up their children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. The first thing he tells fathers is, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Remember last time we talked about the fact that if you don't have a relationship with your children, if because of your own sin and your own harshness with your children, you break the relationship with them, you might as well forget bringing them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Because there is no avenue there for which to communicate. Discipleship has to happen in relationship. Because you're, you're dealing with life on life. The purpose of discipleship is to change the person. To change the way they think, the way they speak, how they believe, and how they live. You know, we're inundated with education in our country, but it comes from a Greek philosophy of education, which simply says impart knowledge to them. Teach them something. And there's a hope that something happens and change, but there's not really a process to make that happen. And so we feel like we're very educated if we have been told these things, but being told and being able to live it out is two different things. Many of you know I work with College Plus, and uh, I've talked to a few people in my time on the phone. And so I remember going through some training with them, and we're, I'm watching people on the phones. And so there's, it's always a little different when you do it yourself. Have you ever experienced that? When someone teaches you how to do something, and then all of a sudden you have to do it, and you have to think through the process? So I remember the very first phone call I was on, I got on the phone, I had somebody kind of shadowing me, and it was ringing, and it went to voicemail. Now, I had prepared what I was going to say to them if they answered the phone. <laughs> I did not prepare what I was going to say to them if they didn't answer the phone. So I'm like, it went to voicemail, I'm like, oh no, what am I going to say? So I handed the mic to the other person to hear you tell them what to say. <laughs> A quite a humbling experience. Discipleship is about changing all of who we are. Changing our heart, changing our thoughts, changing our words, changing how we live. Okay, It happens through relationship. Now we're going to talk a little bit today, we're going to focus on the fact of how to impress God's word on our hearts. So we've talked about the relationship, that's so important. And now we're going to get down to this second part of chapter 4, of verse 4 of chapter 6. But bring them up in the discipline 
and instruction of the Lord. This is going to take a little time to unpack. Let's turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Very familiar passage, one that's echoed throughout Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is a repeating of the law of God. The Israelites are on the very edge of the promised land. They have come through 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. They got here one time, and they rebelled against the Lord out of unbelief. And God sent all of them back in the wilderness, and everyone 20 years of age and older died, beyond 20 years of age, died in the wilderness except for two people, Moses and Joshua. And even Moses won't make it into the promised land because of a sin that he committed. And so God is rehearsing for them again his word, his law. These people have spent 400 years in Egypt. They have been saturated in paganism, Egyptian paganism. And he is trying to teach them the word. And he's trying to impress it upon the Israelites' hearts. And they're getting ready to go in to a land whose time is ripe for judgment. And God is going to use these people to judge those nations. The Canaanites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, the Perizzites, the Parasites, you know, whoever, whoever they are. They're all there. But what's the problem? They don't worship the one true God. And their sin has come up to God and come up to God and come up to God. And now God's going to use Israel, little Israel, to go in and to carry out the judgment of God. And he gives them some very sound instruction here. Let's read Deuteronomy 6. Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you. This is Moses obviously talking that you may do them in the land in which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord the God of your fathers has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. And you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob to give you with great and good cities that you did not build and houses full of all good things that you did not fill and cisterns that you did not dig and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery. It is the Lord your God you shall, you shall fear. Him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. You should make vows to the Lord, in other words. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are around you. For the Lord your God is in your midst, and he is a jealous God. Lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you, and he destroy you from off the face of the earth. So Moses says, God's given me these commandments, and my job is to give them to you. And your job, particularly talking to fathers, is to give them to your sons and your sons' sons, and obviously your daughters, and obviously your wife. 
And he says, remember, Israel, there's only one God. And you are commanded to love him with all your mind, heart, mind, soul, and strength. And you're to teach these commandments to your children diligently. So that they understand what's expected of them. And then he gives them a warning. He says, when you come into this land, I'm going to give you this great land. You're going to have houses you didn't build, wells you didn't dig, uh, vineyards and olive trees you didn't plant. You're going to have this incredible blessing you didn't even work for. It's a gift from me. And he says, be careful when you're satisfied, when you've had your needs met, that in the end you forget the one who took you out of Egypt, carried you safely through the, through the wilderness, and brought you to this place. And that, that you then make the foolish mistake of worshiping the gods these people are worshiping. Because what's going to happen to these people when you come in? You're going to be, they're going to be totally obliterated, or they should have been, because of their idolatry against God. Now this command and this passage is very relevant for us today. As people of God, saved by His grace and by the power of His Spirit, uh, we're living in a land in which there's lots of false gods. And unless we train our children like Moses commanded them, our children will go the way of the people of the land we're living in. And we'll find ourselves not raising up disciples of Christ, but raising up disciples of the American culture with all that it has to bring. Were they successful in what they, Moses commanded them to do? Let's turn to uh, Joshua, the very end of Joshua. Joshua 24, verse 31, And Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua and had known all the work that the Lord did for Israel. Judges chapter 2. They recount the fact that Joshua lived 110 years and he was buried. Verse 10 of chapter 2. And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. Did they obey what Moses said? No. There's a generation, two generations down, who don't know the Lord. They don't know about the exodus. They don't know about all the great works God did to deliver them. It didn't take long, did it? And for anybody who knows the Bible, Judges is a wild book. Because all the people now, instead of following the commands of God, are what? Doing whatever seems right in their own eyes. So today we want to talk about the importance of impressing God's word on our children's hearts. Dads and moms. If you don't do this, no one else is. The church can help. The church can facilitate. When you bring your child to church, they'll get some drippings of the word of God. But the kind of discipleship, the kind of instruction that they need has to be done in the home. And we'll see that as we begin to look at the process of that. Look in Deuteronomy 6, and let's look at, he commands them to teach God's commandments. For what purposes? What purposes do we see in Deuteronomy 6 for why they should teach the word of God? Okay, so they will fear the Lord. 
That is in verse 2. Yep. So if they don't fear the Lord, what happens? They'll die. They'll be like that, those nations. If you lose the fear of the Lord, then you live like everybody else, is what happens. Okay? So verse 2, for the purpose that they may fear the Lord, and not just, not just, not just you, but also who? Your sons, your sons' sons. Okay? What else? So they won't forget God. Okay? If you don't teach your children the, the providences of God and the provision of God and the commands of God, then they're going to forget. If you don't remind yourself of that, you what? Forget. How many, times, how many times has God delivered you from situations and you've forgotten about that? Okay? All right, what else? Okay, he promises that if you'll teach the commands of God, that they, they will multiply greatly. Be careful to do them, that it may, this is verse 3, that it may go well with you and that you may multiply greatly. Obey the commands. Do what we've asked you to do. Because God's purpose was to make this a great nation, wasn't it? Okay, what else? Yes. Teach them God's providence so they'll know where their blessings came from. Did they, just, did they, did they escape Egypt on their own power? Did they, over, did they overcome the, the Pharaoh's army? Did they come out on their own and, and, and did uh, survival living through the wilderness for 40 years? No. They had a God who was faithful to take them and care for them. Do your children know where the blessings in your life come from? Or do they think it's just because mom or dad is just really industrious? And mom and dad may be industrious. But do they know where the blessing comes from? Okay? What else? Okay? Giving them direction. Yeah, they, they will know how to live. Um, to keep them from being destroyed. What does he tell them? If you don't teach them the word commands of God, and they come into the land and they enjoy the fruit, the fruit of the land, they're going to forget God. They're going to follow other gods. And God's going to do what? Wipe them off the face of the earth. That's what he did to these people. The Canaanites, Hittites, Perizzites, all those people. It was not a good day for them when Israel came into the land. Because of their sin. If you don't teach them about the Lord your God, there will be other gods for them to worship. He says that your children and you will be blessed. It will go well with you and that you'll have a long life. You'll live long in this land. What happened? They eventually were taken out of that land, weren't they? Eventually, the Assyrians and the Babylonians came and removed them from their land. Why? Because they didn't give themselves to the obedience of the scriptures. They didn't. They didn't teach their children either. Why has this country gone from what it used to be to what it is today? Because Christians were not faithful. That's not, not, not a real simple answer to all that question, but part of it is parents were not faithful to teach their children the word of God. They assumed they'd pick it up. It takes a lot of work to do this. So it doesn't take long. Couple of generations and you're on the, and you're on the ropes. Okay, this is what's happened with Israel. Judges, they're on the ropes. Everybody's doing what they think in their, in their own mind. All right. What should we teach our children from God's word? The Minnesota Crime Commission had this statement they made. This is from Minnesota. Every baby starts life. As a little savage. He's completely selfish and self-centered. He wants what he wants when he wants it. His bottle, his mother's attention, his playmate's toys, his uncle's watch, or whatever. Deny him these and he sees with rage and aggressiveness which would be murderous were he not so helpless. 
He's dirty. He has no morals, no knowledge, no developed skills. This means that all children, not just certain children, but all children are born delinquent. If permitted to continue in their self-centered world of infancy, given free reign to their impulsive actions to satisfy each want, every child would grow up a criminal, a thief, a killer, a rapist. That's not some pastor preaching. That's the Minnesota Crime, and Crime Council. Children are unfortunately like their parents. They're born with a sin nature. And the purpose of child training is to bring the word of God to bear upon their life. That's the purpose of it, is to bring that to bear, to continue to bring that to bear, and to show them how far short they've fallen of the glory of God, and to show them the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the purpose of parenting and to hold up the standard that God wants them to live by, which they can't live by apart from the Spirit of God. So is that a task to be undertaken? It is. Is it one that's going to be easy? No, it's not, for a couple of reasons. One, they're sinners, and number two, you're a sinner. And you have to deal with their sin. So as we look at God's Word, what things in God's Word do we need to teach them? Somebody help me. Got to teach them the gospel. Got to teach them God's sovereignty, that God is in control of all things. The gospel that Christ died for men, that those who would believe and repent might have eternal life. What else do we teach them? Teach them sanctification. We teach them that they are called to obey God's word and that they can only do that by the power of the Holy Spirit and helping them to obey God in all these areas. Yes. There's another one somebody said. Obedience. We got to teach them. We have first have to teach them. To teach them obedience, we have to teach them what first? The law. The commandments. They don't know what to obey us to teach those things to them, right? Okay. What else? I think we have to teach them that there is a God. That there is a God. And we need to tell them who that God is. Okay? That's all what the scriptures do. Who's, who's God and who's what? If we, know, we need to know who God is, we also need to know who man is, right? We need to know who we are. Your child needs to know that they have a sin nature. They need to know that their behavior is not, not what, God, what pleases God. You need to know that. That's part of the problem with modern child training, is we assume the child is what? Basically, good. The scripture says, no, your child was affected by the fall of Adam. And he has a sin nature, and you don't have to teach him to sin at all. He can become completely proficient at sinning all by himself, without any help whatsoever. Isn't that amazing? Now, to get him to do what's righteous, now that's another, that's, that takes a miracle. Okay? So if you go into it with this fantasy of he's just a real sweet little, little guy, or he's, she's a little sweet little girl, you're going to be in trouble. Because you are dealing with a little savage. And this is why we have people who grow up and go to prison, because they were never trained and, and brought into instruction. We need to teach them what sin is. What Moses said was the history of God's relationship. Exactly. We need to teach them that, that they're part of history, that God has had a plan from the beginning. And that their family is part of that history. That God has saved mom and dad. And that the Bible is not only just the story of Israel's history, it's the story of their history if they trust the living God. And give them a picture that this is bigger than just mommy and daddy trying to get you to obey a few things we want you to do. That God has a plan. And that you're fortunate to be to be born into a family that teaches the Word of God. You're fortunate every Sunday to go to church and hear the Word of God preached. Millions and billions of people don't have that privilege. Okay? The gospel, how is man saved? 
what happens to those who don't trust Christ? And obviously, what has God commanded? Okay? Now, how should we um, take God's commandments and impress them upon our children? Okay, we're going to look at four things. We're probably not going to have time for all four today. First of all is teaching. We have to teach them the commands of God. Okay? That's what we're told here in Deuteronomy 6, right? Teach them diligently to your children. Talk about them when you rise up, when you lie down, when you walk along the path. That's, that's the first one. Second one is to rebuke, to reprove, or to convict them. When they, are they going to live up to what you give them as far as commandments? No, they're not. You're going to tell them, the Bible says, honor and obey your parents. Boom, it already happened. They didn't do that. Matter of fact, they did it 15 times today. They did it 30 times. They had a good day. They had 30, 30 times they didn't obey their parents. Okay? And so what happens when that happens? We have to bring the word of God to bear upon that and to help them to see where they've fallen. Then third is to correct them, to show them the path they should walk. And the fourth is to train them. These same things that we see, you turn to 2 Timothy 3, 16. The word of God is what? All God's word is God breathed, is inspired, and is useful for what? Teaching, reproof, or convicting, correction, and training in what? Righteousness. So that the man and woman of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So that the child will be brought more into the image of who? Christ. Okay? So there's a fourfold aspect here to the word of God. All right? So we're going to deal, first of all, with teaching. To teach is to instruct, to inform, to communicate to another the knowledge of that which he, of which he is ignorant. And they are completely ignorant of the word. We do know God has put, that, has put his law on their heart. And so at some point, that's going to help us along the way. But we're dealing with people who don't know God, don't know his word. Okay? We're to do it just like God did it for us. Uh, Isaiah 2, 3, who, who would read that for us? And Deuteronomy 4, 10. Can you get Deuteronomy 4, 10? And Isaiah 2, 3. Okay, so God gathered them at Horeb for what was the purpose? For them to have a fear of God and for them to obey his commands. God is about instructing his people. Who did he give that responsibility to in Deuteronomy 6? Who did God make responsible to teach the people his ways? Moses. Moses. And then Moses was to teach the, exactly, Moses was to teach the parents and they were to teach the what? The children. So Moses' charge was, you better instruct them in these ways. You're on the mountain for 80 days. For no, there was a purpose for you being there 80 days. And there was no feast up there except the fellowship of the Lord. And to learn his ways. So Moses had to know the ways of God to teach them to his children. What's this going to do to every one of us here if we're going to teach our children these things? It's going to teach us. Because we can't teach something that we don't what? We don't know. We don't know. We don't practice. That's why parenting isn't just about training children to be disciples of Christ. It's about teaching what? Parents to be disciples of Christ. It's not easy. It's not easy. And Isaiah 2, 3. Mm -hmm. Isaiah 2, 3. And many people will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob that he may teach us concerning his ways, and we may walk in his paths. For the law will go forth from Zion, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Okay, they were going up to Jerusalem for what purpose? To hear 
God teach them, and for them to what? What was the purpose? To walk in their ways. Okay, discipleship is always about changing a life. Samuel Worcester, a, a, a 19th century pastor, said this, Children should be taught early the important truths of God's word. They should early be taught that there is a God and that he is a being of infinite power and wisdom, knowledge and goodness, justice, mercy and truth. One God in three persons, that he is to be loved with all the heart and obeyed in all things with the most dutiful respect, that his law is holy, just and good, that all mankind are by nature sinners and are exposed to everlasting destruction, that God has freely given his own son to die for sinners and to bring in everlasting righteousness for their justification, that everyone ought immediately to repent and embrace the Savior, that all the unconverted reject the mercy of God and will continue to reject it to their eternal ruin, and that all who are thus renewed and made alive to God will be pardoned and sanctified and finally received to honor, glory, and immortality. These and other gospel truths connected with these should be taught to our children with diligence and faithfulness. They are truths which concern their eternal salvation. Nor are we to say that children cannot understand them, for it has been found by pleasing experience that if proper means are used, children will very early get so much knowledge of divine truth as to be of the greatest benefit to them in all their future lives. Children can, can take in a lot of information. Children can hang on to a lot of information, unlike us who are older. They are a sponge in this regard. A couple years back, we took in four, Ukrainian, not four, four Latvian orphans for a summer. And we had to follow the guidelines of the agency that we did that with, which was to not spank them. I don't know why I agreed to that. But anyway, we had them for six weeks in the summer. And we had um, the littlest girl was four. Her name was Agnesa. And Agnesa was a cross between Shirley Temple and um, who? Gretel. Okay. Yeah. Cute as she could be. So we would take them to church. And I explained, I, I explained to Agnesa, Need to be quiet, church. Okay, so we're sitting there. She's doing a great job sitting quietly. Every time she want to talk, I go. She got it. So the pastor was preaching, and I said, "Amen." She goes. Yes, got rebuked by a four-year-old in church. Children have an amazing ability to hear and under, hear and hold on to God's word. You know, in, my, in the previous church, we had a young a young child who was. We were talking about the resurrection of Lazarus. We're talking about the fact that that Lazarus, <clears throat> when he was resurrected, it wasn't really resurrection in the sense of he had a he had a new body and that he would live forever, but he was definitely brought back to life as a picture of resurrection. And so the discussion had gone on in the sermon about how this was really resuscitation and not resurrection. So two months later, while mommy's teaching Bible at home to the children, and she references the story of Lazarus and the resurrection of Lazarus, she is, the hand goes up in the room, and the little boy says, Mommy, it wasn't resurrection, it was, it was resuscitation. Children hear, and they understand. And the dangerous part about it, parents, is what? They remind us what we've said. Daddy, you're not supposed to be getting angry. You're getting angry. I'm not getting angry. Of course I'm not getting angry. So, I wish my kids weren't here today. Uh, <coughs> they're all smiling at me. I'm going to owe them when I get home, okay? Um, so let's look at this. The first step to impressing God's word upon your children's hearts is to impress it upon your own heart. Deuteronomy 6.6. 6. And these words that I command you today shall be on what? 
your heart. May God give us grace that they would be on our heart. That doesn't mean they're just memorized. That's step one. They have to be meditated on. And we have to be what? Living them. The word of God is meant to change us. And if it doesn't change us, then we fit into the category of the parent we talked about two weeks ago, the hypocritical parent. We have all the words, we say all the words, but in reality, the, word, the, the Bible has not what? Affected us. So the call to us parents, first and foremost, before we ever utter a word to our children is, let the word of God be on your heart. Let it settle there. Let it change your mind and your will and your emotions and your life. And it doesn't change it perfectly, does it? We're still sinful people. And we get a chance to, for our children to see that and to, and to respond appropriately. Okay? They shall be on our hearts. That's enough of a message already for today. How diligently are you in the word? How diligently are you at obeying the word? How diligent are you at repenting when you don't obey the word? How attentive are you when the word is preached here? Do your children ever see you change in some meaningful way as a result of a message? You see, this is, child training is not something that happens to the little guys. That's part of it. But it can't, it can't take place unless this happens here. I remember once trying to teach soccer. I never played soccer. It was tough. Teaching something I never did. It's impossible, really. You can't teach what, what you don't know. You can't teach what's not changed your life. You can't teach God's sovereign if you don't believe God's sovereign. You can't teach God is faithful and provides if you're, if you're, if you're always in anxiety because, because you don't ever see God provide. You can't teach that God answers prayer if you never see God answer prayer. So, child training always starts with us. Okay? Deuteronomy eleven eighteen and following. You shall therefore lay up these words of mine in your heart and on, in, in your soul. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontless between your eyes. They should affect your actions. They should affect your thoughts. Proverbs 4, 23. Let your heart, keep your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. Regarding our heart, is our heart tied to this word? Or is it attracted to something else out here that seems so valuable, so important? Your children will find out what's valuable to you, no matter what you say. They're, they have great radar in this respect. Okay? For the Word of God is to be in your hearts and to control you and the way you live your life. Second step is that you are to command these to your children diligently. So we're to teach them to our children diligently and to talk of them as we sit by the way, sit in the house, and as we walk by the way, and we, walk, and we lie down, and we rise up. Because there's going to be opportunities all along the way, every day, to talk about the Word of God. And not just with our little guys, with our big guys as well. Okay? The word for... Teach them diligently carries the idea of impress it upon them deeply. It's the idea of, rep of a repetition. Okay? It's a repetition. It's like taking, taking a knife and sharpening it. The repetitiveness of it. And it's not just the repetitiveness of it. It is the application of it in every context. So it's one thing to listen to videos and see Justin give me training in College Plus. It's another thing to get on the phone and find out I got to leave an I got to leave a I got to leave a an answer on the on the answering machine. Okay, 
It's one thing in basketball to teach children how to dribble. It's another thing to let them dribble. It's one thing to teach your children to share as you're sitting around the table. It's another thing when there's a fight breaks out because there's a toy they both want. So the word is taught formally and then and informally it's constantly reinforced and brought to bear upon our lives. Formally and informally. And in all kinds of situations. How many of you have ever been in a situation where you're out in a store and all of a sudden everything just breaks loose? You've been training your child to be obedient. You've been training your child to obey their parents. And all of a sudden we have a huge fit going on in the middle of the store. And we're screaming and all kinds of stuff's going on. I just heard this happens to people. I've never experienced that myself. <coughs> but... Yeah. What do you do with that? Do we instruct right there? Do we go off somewhere where we can deal with it? How do we, how do we deal with those things? Because they're going to come. They're going to come in all, all types of situations. Horror of horrors. You're going to bring your child into worship. Sit down. You've already set toward the back of the church to make sure you're safe back there. So you can make a quick getaway if something happens. But you never know. You never know. You never know when behavior is going to happen that you're not expecting, and how do you respond? In all the circumstances of life, this is why it's a twenty-four-seven job. Giving the instruction, you know, that can happen. Over dinner, that can happen here and there. It happens throughout the day. It happens all the day. But then when we have an issue that something happens that goes against the Word of God, how do we deal with that? How, what's our response to that? The Scriptures are to be applied to our children at all times and in all circumstances. One of the memories in my parenting career, which is still going on, by the way, is um, I was pastoring up in Ohio. Lori's brother loved the Grand Tetons. And so we made a trip to the Grand Tetons and met, met them. And we had uh, one child at that point, and we had one in utero. And we're up in the grandeur of the, of the Grand Tetons, the majesty of the place, and, uh, and we had a two-year-old with us who will remain nameless. <laughs> and it had been a hard trip, it had been a long trip, and so we went out on Jenny Lake, and Jenny Lake is just this tranquil, like glass lake with the majestic Tetons in the background, and we get on this fateful vo uh, this voyage. <clears throat> There's a little boat that takes you across the lake. So we got on the boat, Lori's brother and sister-in-law, her kids. We got on with our child. And um, so we're just going across the lake. It's just just magnificent day. It's crisp outside. And uh, this child wanted the camera. And... I said, no, no, you can't have the camera, not right now. And from that point, it just kind of went downhill. Uh, it, it went into a full-blown, all-out tantrum and fit and all this and that. So here we are on this boat with 15 other people who are all trying to enjoy the majesty and beauty of God's creation. And we have this, this, this incident happening at the back of the boat. Where can I go to deal with this situation? <laughs> Why didn't I just give them the camera? It, the camera could have gotten wet. Who cares? It would have been great. I wouldn't have had to go, I wouldn't have had to go through this humiliation. you know. So we finally got off the boat. I went back into the area to deal with the child. You could hear, you could hear over the, the mountains are great at bringing the, bringing the volume back. <laughs> and you could just hear this. And, and of course, our party kind of moved quickly to the other side, the other side as quickly as they could. 
Yeah, what do you do? You have to bring God's word to bear on all circumstances of life. And there's going to be times. And then the question is, how do you deal with that? Do you deal with it in anger? So we'll talk about that. All right? The benefit's obvious. This teaches our children what? That God's word applies to what? Every situation in life. It's not, not just some little class we have. It deals with every situation in our life. Child training is not just teaching our children knowledge. James 1.22 says what? Be not just hearers of the word, but what? Doers. God doesn't care if you hear the word if you don't do it. There's no bonus points for that. Israel heard Christ preach for three years, and most of them ended up losing their soul because they didn't obey what he had to say. So when we're, when we're teaching our children in these situations, whether it's in the store, whether it's in the backyard, there's a little fight breaks out between the children, or whether you found out your child just stole the cookie or they got into the birthday cake that was supposed to be for this afternoon and you got little fingerprints and hands all in it, or whatever the situation is, how do we deal with that? Well, first of all, um, determine when you want to deal with the issue. It's preferable to deal with it as soon as possible. Okay, if it's happening now, we need to deal with it now. There's certain times where you can't deal with it right then. It just happens right then. And you can't, and, and there's something, and you got other things going on, you cannot deal with it. It's okay to deal with it a little later in the day. They'll remember it, you'll remember it, and you'll be able to walk them through that and help them see. What did God's word say? What did they do? And the bigger question is why? A lot of times we ask what questions. What did you do? Oh, you did X. Okay, we're going to give you Y. The real question is to get to the heart of the issue is what? Why? Why are we fighting over the front seat of the car? Why are we fighting over not doing the dishes? Why are we fighting over this toy here? Why did you just tell daddy a lie? Okay? So having time to talk with them and help them see God's word, help them see how they have violated God's word, and help them see the path and the need for Christ. Make sure that you're able to explain to them what they did in a way they understand. You don't say, this is not good for your sanctification. What does that mean? Break it down for them. Speak at a level they can understand. Keep it reasonable. If they have a short attention span, don't spend 45 minutes on it. Discuss it. Help them see what God's word said. Help them see how they violated God's word. Or help them see how they could apply God's word in this situation. How would God want you to respond in this situation? And give them a scripture with that. Okay? Encourage your children to ask questions. Maybe they don't understand what, what's going on here. Well, they need to understand before we do anything with them what, what went on. Help them create situations where they apply God's word. You're teaching them God's word. And say, okay, now how would we ever use this in our life? And let them think about, how could I, do, how could I use this? One of our favorite early commandments of God was do everything without complaining or arguing. Why? Because they do a lot of stuff with complaining and arguing. And part of this for parents is that we're going to have to build a repertoire of Scripture that we can bring to bear upon their life. Well, we always want to connect what we're dealing with them with the Word of God. We want to help them see that this is not just about us, this is about God. This is about His Word. Not just about my convenience. Help your children to memorize scripture if they, can't, if, they don't, if they can't read. There's some tips there. So we're dealing with teaching. And we're going to talk about this. We're going to spend a session just on what, what family worship looks like. <clears throat> how, we do family, how you do family worship. How you can have a time regularly where you teach them the word of God. Systematically and walk through that with them. Okay? So that's teaching. It's both formally and informally. Why you would not bring your children to church 
to be able to hear these things, I don't know. This is a major source of discipleship that's served up ready every week. And the great thing about it, dads, is Bob gives gives a study guide. That can be used at home. Or you get through with the message, we go home, and what do we talk about when we get home? The message we've heard. Use it as a springboard to help you in your discussions with your children. I know some of us are so busy with so many things that our mind just like, oh, I got so much stuff to think about. Find the time to teach your children the Word of God. Okay? Secondly is conviction, to convict. Okay? So we teach them, and then we have to bring to bear the fact that they didn't measure up to what the Scripture said. It's called conviction, it's called rebuke, it's called reproof. Okay? It's to check or to restrain the legal process of being found culpable for a crime. Part of our job as parents is to help children see that what they did just didn't inconvenience me. It's what? It's a violation of God's word. They sinned against God. And part of your challenge as a parent is to help them see that they sinned against God. When David stood before the Lord in prayer, he said, against you, you only have I sinned and no one is evil in your sight. When Joseph was being, when Joseph was being tempted by, by, um, by Potiphar's um, wife, he said, I cannot sin against the Lord. He saw what he could possibly do as a sin against the Lord. We have to help our children see that this is not just our little kingdom and our little rules. They have to understand that we're standing in the place of who? God. And God has these rules for us to follow. So we have to help them come to the point of seeing that they're guilty. So you almost have to be like a prosecuting attorney. You have to come at this to the point. It's not just you did X, I'm going to give you four swats. And I've I've, I've been guilty of that. You did this, you get this. Well, what are we dealing with? We're dealing with actions, aren't we? We're not dealing with who they sinned against. We're not dealing with the why. We're not getting down to the heart of the issue in this matter. Okay? This is a hard one. This takes time. This takes sitting down and having conversations with our children. <clears throat> this is why the myth of quantity, quality time versus quantity time is a real myth. Because to, be to train children it takes a lot of time. You're on your way out the door for church and you have a major problem go on. Do we miss first light? To deal with this, yeah, you may have to. Or you're getting ready to go out to eat and all of a sudden something happens. You have to deal with it. It's inconvenient. I don't know if it's as inconvenient as Jenny Lake in the Tetons, but it's inconvenient. And we have to, de- we have to deal with it. It takes time. And teaching is one thing. Helping them see where they've missed the mark and help them see not only their sin, but see their heart and see their need for Christ, that's where it really gets down to the rubber meets the road. I mean, if we sit here in church and we have Bob preach a message, and, 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 and at the end of the message, Bob says, everybody come forward who wants Jesus, come on forward, and we don't deal with their sin, and we don't help them to see and convince them that they're sinners, and that they're, uh, they stand wanting before a holy God, are those conversions real? No. They're not real because we've not burrowed down to the point of conviction in their life. Okay? How are we doing time-wise back there? Okay. All right. If you look at Revelation 3.19, God's dealing with the Laodicean church, and he basically, he basically reproves them. He basically convicts them. He says, you used to live this way, now you don't, and I have this against you. He's bringing a case against them. What's he bringing the case against them for? He's bringing the case against them so that they will repent. Because if they don't repent, he will remove their lampstand from them. Remember he told them you're either hot or cold? Or you're lukewarm, I'd rather you be hot or cold. And he told them all these things they did. And then he says, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. 
Conviction shows love. Conviction shows you're going to take the time to help them see the condition of their heart. That's very important to help them see the condition of their heart. The, the Greek word here for aleko means to carry the idea of refuting an opponent to the point of convincing him of his sin. You're in a, you're in a, you're in a debate, and you finally get the person to, to, to see their side. This is what conviction is for a parent. A parent brings the child to the point where they see their sin. As you deal with your children in the Word of God, do you bring them to the point where they see their sin? <coughs> It takes time. Now we know the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin, John sixteen eight. We know that the Word of God convicts us of sin, and we know that God uses parents and He uses elders and He uses the people to bring conviction of sin in our lives. We deal with each other in our sins, don't we? In first in First Timothy five, the Bible talks about people bringing accusations against the elder. For his sin. So everyone, we work with the whole issue. We're all sinful people. And there's times when we need someone to bring to our attention our sin. Remember how Nathan brought David's sin to him? And showed him his sin? And what have you done with Bathsheba and Uriah? This is a very important aspect of teaching our children the ways of God. And we've got to become skilled at this. It takes practice. Okay? What's the purpose of conviction? To lead to what? Repentance. And it'll lead to what? Faith. And trust in Christ. So there's a lot of things that are going on that are on a serious level. You may say, well, I'm a parent. I'm not qualified to do this. Yes, you are. And if you're not equipped to do it, then what do we need to do? Get into the Word and begin to practice. Get on the phone and make the first phone call. You know, do the first, do the first basketball shot. Step out and begin to work at this to bring conviction to your children's hearts. J. Adams says, No process of change or philosophy of parenting that ignores a child's relationship to God can succeed no matter what gimmicks are used to get what the child wants. Child training is ultimately about that child's relationship with who? Christ. It's not just about you. It's about them. And if you have all these great plans on how you're going to bribe your kids to do what's right, or you're going to give them special rewards, or all these things, and we don't deal with their heart and deal with their relationship with Christ, it's a waste of time. You may get outward conformity. The question is, are you dealing with the heart? That's the question. Are we dealing with the heart of people? When a parent attempts to change a child's behavior without first seeking change in his relationship with God, the result is merely outward, pharisaical behavior, just as displeasing to God as the original selfish behavior. I'm going to give you $5 if you get your room clean all week. Hey, now we just told them to be greedy, right? Congratulations. That's so, that's so helpful. So successful. Okay? <clears throat> Convictions are prerequisite for repentance change. You need two skills. You need to know the scriptures. And we need to be able to bring those scriptures to bear upon the heart of our children. So we come into a situation, we have a child who is, they're obeying us, but you can tell they got a chip on their shoulder. How do we deal with that? We have to bring it to their attention. So would you call that last statement you made honoring? Why were you not honoring? What is the problem? What is going on in your heart? What's the situation there? Well, X, Y, and Z. What did the scripture say you're supposed to do? Honor your parents. Supposed to obey your parents. Well, I am obeying. Okay, you're obeying. Good. So what about the attitude? What kind of attitude should be there? One of honor? As you said this, is this honoring or not honoring? And then the question is, why? Why is this here? Well, I didn't like you telling me to do X, Y, and Z. Okay? So it boiled down to what? You wanted to do what you wanted to do for your own pleasure. You wanted to sleep in an extra hour or you wanted to do X, Y, or Z or you didn't want to take the trash out again this week. 
and walking them through the process and bringing them to a point where they see their sin. It's helping your children see their sin. Okay? Here's some principles to follow when bringing conviction to your children. Okay? First of all, examine your motives. If we go to Galatians chapter 6, Galatians chapter 6 really applies to any kind of discipline situation, whether church discipline situation or family discipline situation. It says, Brothers, if anyone's caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you be too, you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Notice the admonitions here. The big question is, why are you convicting your child of this, of this situation? What is your ultimate goal in convicting them of this? In this situation with a child who wasn't honoring his parent, what's my ultimate goal? Because I deserve respect? Let's be honest. That's, 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 you're not going to disrespect me. Mm-mm. No, that's not quite of the Lord. Okay? Why do you convict your children? Is it, is, is there, and when you do that, is, what's, the, what's the motive behind it? Is it to expose them and show them how foolish they are? Is it to make um, things easier for yourself? I'm really tired of the trash not being taken out. That's why I'm going to deal with this. It's, it's become a pain to me. It's become a headache to me. Not to take personal vengeance on him. When you deal with your children, we have to empty our agenda on the floor. And we have to have the Lord's agenda. And the Lord's agenda is what? Restoration. That's his agenda, is restoration. Is the goal of our child training and the goal of our conviction restoration? Is it to restore this child? If it is, then how do we go about it? Galatians 1. We, if they're caught in this transgression, we who are spiritual should restore them in a spirit of what? Gentleness. We should take them somewhere else and talk about this. Out of the limelight. And deal with it. We're to help them see their relationship with Christ. We're to be careful. Because if we come at it in pride, what happens to us? Now we're in sin. We fall into this. Notice what he says here. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be what? Tempted. How many times have you gotten in a situation to deal with your child and then found out you've got, you fell into sin? You were angry. You were upset. You didn't follow the scriptures. Yeah. Yeah, Jimmy Lake was bad on both counts. My child's count and my count. There's a day that will live in infamy. And notice here, we can get puffed up. Well, I'm going to take care of this child because they don't, they don't have the wisdom I have. Let's be careful here. You're not above stumbling and falling here. Remember what Matthew 7 says. If you're going to help a brother who has a splinter in his eye, make sure you get the plank out of your own eye. Deal with your own sin first. So we have to see our sin. When we deal with our children, we need to see our own sin. It's really helpful if you have your sin right here in front of your forehead when you're dealing with your children. It'll take some of the edge off of you if you remember your own sin. Okay? Two, use this Bible's terms to convict children of their sin. Call sin, sin. And call it what the Bible calls it. Oh, you're just having a bad day. Yeah, you're having a bad day. You're in sin. Help them see that. Use biblical terms for that. I'm very grateful for Lou Priola. A lot of his material is, is, has come from his resource on um, teaching children diligently. Make sure you understand the child that he is, he is sinned against God. Choose the right time. Choose the right words. How many of us have been in situations where we had to go deal with a brother or sister in Christ and we're careful to choose the right words for that encounter? Y'all have that? Yeah. With our children, do they deserve anything less than that? No, they don't. Choose the right words for them. 
ask questions to appeal to their conscience. Not just what did you do, but why did you do it? Moving from what questions to why questions. Look at Jesus as you read through the Gospels. How many times did he ask a why question? Why do you seek to kill me? Why are you worried about what you wear? Lots of why questions Jesus asks. Why are you of so little faith? Make sure that when you deal with your children, it's not all conviction. I mean, we can really bear down on our kids and just find all kinds of faults with them because they're just like us. Does your relationship with your children involve praise and encouragement and, and, uh, and helpfulness, or is it always just on them about these things? And again, when you reprove them, when you convict them, do it with gentleness. This takes a lot of grace. This takes the work of the Spirit. Um, let's pray. Father, we thank you. For child training, we thank you that you've called us to this. And Lord, as we get into this, we see that there is so much here that requires us to walk by your Spirit and to be faithful in that. And Father, we all acknowledge we've come short. Father, I pray that you would help us to redouble our efforts in teaching your Word to our children. And Lord, that you would give us wisdom and grace to bring conviction to our children in their sin and point them to Christ who offers forgiveness. Father, we pray that, that you would train up our children in the fear and admission of the Lord, and that you would use us as your instruments. In Jesus' name.